listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. And welcome to episode 97 of the Testudo Times Podcast. Fear not, great Maryland fans, basketball season is here, and we can only focus on that now. Because I'm pretty sure Maryland doesn't play any sports other than basketball. Thomas, uh, you would be an authority on such matters. Does Maryland play any sports other than basketball? Uh, I hear they have teams. I don't know if they play games. Um, uh, okay, I'm so they're so they're. Um, looking, I'm looking into that. They're uh, what, what would you call them? They're, what's the word? I'm they're blanking like on the word. Yeah, like club, club teams. Yes, they're club teams. Thank you. Thank you very much for yeah, saving me there. Other other clubs. Yeah, okay. That that makes total sense to me. I'm not surprised by that. Lamar, I mean, you've been writing for the site for some time. Now, does Maryland play any sports other than basketball? Uh, can't recall. I We are looking to it in, into this at the uh, moment, uh, heading up my sources. We'll see. Well, so we got great sources here at Testudo Times. We're going to get to the bottom of this very quickly, I assure you. Somebody else who probably knows a little bit more about basketball and probably also wants to admit that Maryland doesn't have any other sports Matt Ellentuck has returned. Matt, uh, Maryland only plays basketball, yeah? Yeah, at least when I went to school. I, I can't remember them playing any other sports other than basketball. Nothing else worth watching. Certainly, certainly. Both the men's and the women's teams are awesome. We love watching them. They're, they're amazing. They make us happy. Anyway, we should get to talking about men's basketball because the season is starting on Friday. I can't believe it's already here and not a moment too soon, let's be honest. And there's a lot to get to, Thomas, but I guess we should start with what is the overarching theme for this season? Uh, you know, that's one that I've I've kind of wondered myself a lot because um, there's, I think, at least entering the season, the question is there's no mellow, so who's going to fill those shoes even though no one needs to? Uh, there's three sophomores who, you know, if they all just take the next step forward that you would expect a freshman to take into a sophomore year, then... You know, Maryland should be fine. Um, there there are not a lot of just general known quantities because all the upperclassmen are, you know, they've they've been either role players or they've been inconsistent. Um, and so that leaves, you know, the underclassmen who we just don't know their ceilings. And if all of them take steps toward reaching them, then this could be an incredible year. And if they don't, then, you know, Maryland could struggle a little bit. So I think that's, I think that's the overarching theme if there is one. Matt, I think for us, last year they started out so well with the best start in program history and then fell back to earth, which a lot of us expected would kind of be where they ended up falling. Now there's no mellow, which is very sad. It's going to be weird watching a Maryland basketball team with no mellow Trimble. I don't remember a world where that didn't exist because the last time they didn't have mellow Trimble, they weren't very good. Uh, but now they have players that are emerging and are getting better. They have two very intriguing freshmen. And it's a team overall that it's in a transition, but it's in a pretty, I'd say, good transition. They're transitioning very smoothly away from one era to another, and it seems like this is the second year of that transition. Yeah, it's going to be weird. Um, obviously, like you said, without Melo, the team doesn't really have an identity, at least in a national perspective. But, I mean, it's going to be a matter of Justin Jackson. Now, this is the Justin Jackson year. Is he going to break out and be this top 20 type player that we think he could be? Is he going to regress? Is he going to stay around the same? It's pretty much going to be a year centered around him. And 
if he can turn into a more complete player, he's he's going to be a we're going he's going to be a guy we're going to be talking about to be a lottery pick again. So uh, it's the year of Justin Jackson. It's the year of Justin. I'm, I'm okay with that. Lots of Justin too. Jackson's in college basketball are very good, so if this one's pretty good too. Lamar, what's the theme of this season for you heading into it? Uh, I don't think it's the year of Justin Jackson, yeah, but I think it's more uh, overall is going to be just the year of those three sophomores. Like they all, like it's they have to take control of this team. Like they all came in together, and Justin's looking like he's. Uh, I know you guys didn't watch the scrimmage, but he looked really good in that. Uh, and Anthony Cowan has to push this offense. Uh, and Kevin Herter has to come and hit threes. Just, they have to r- run this team if it has if it's going anywhere this year. Mm-hmm. Thomas, these three freshmen came in last year, Justin Jackson, much later than all the others, was the surprise commit and turned out to be maybe the best out of all of them. They played roles last year. They all had their moments, but they were never incredibly consistent. It was one or two on one given night and then another on another night, depending on the game. But if it's anybody's team, as Lamar said, I think it's their team. Because the upperclassmen are like Michael Tchaikovsky and Dion Wiley and guys like that who are role players, haven't really found their groove. They've been inconsistent at times. This is their team, and whoever steps up, I think, could end up determining how high the ceiling for this team is, because I'd still say they have a relatively decently high ceiling, even though the Big Ten is certainly looking much better than it did a year ago. Yeah, I mean, that's that's basically what I've been saying, is that, you know, if, if those guys all take the next step forward, and then if we see what we could see from guys like Bruno Fernando, Daryl Morcel, um, then that elevates everything. Um, you know, that, that's suddenly five really talented players uh, and with a veteran core around them. So, I mean, that's, I think that's what it is. I don't know if it's on one guy. Um, I, th- I think it's just on how many of them can make that. Matt, all three of these players are very unique. They're very different, but they all exceed in some very good areas. Now, we saw Anthony Cowan last year. He's kind of the most interesting because he will be running the point. He will be running the offense, which we kind of saw him do more and more as the year went on, as they moved Melo Trimble back to the two-guard position. For him, as a sophomore, what do you want to see him improve upon the most? Because we saw in flashes last year how good he could be. But as a freshman in the Big Ten, you're probably not going to find that consistency. Where do you want to see Anthony Cowan improve this year, and what is his ceiling? Yeah, uh, I mean, we all want to see Anthony Cowan become more of a playmaker. I think we all saw at the beginning of the year when he was playing against D2, D3 talent, he had a much easier time scoring than against the real powerhouses of the Big Ten, and that's always going to be a problem because of his size. So, I mean, for him, obviously, finishing around the rim, if he can improve on that, but probably more importantly is him being able to get everyone involved offensively. Hopefully he has a full year of Michael Tchaikovsky. If Cowan can find a way to be the guy who can feed Checo in the post, I mean, that's going to be huge. He probably isn't going to be asked to do a whole lot of scoring, but just setting up guys more of what Melo Trimble kind of did towards the end of last season, uh, that's what Cowan needs to do. And on Kevin Herter, uh, some days he was hot. Some days he was kind of invisible, but as this kind of player that Maryland has used often, these stretch threes, these kind of lanky players who are more positionally amorphous, 
in his improvement this year, what do you want to see from him? Because we know he's such a unique player. But what in like what is his ceiling and what does the ideal version of Kevin Herter look like? And are we gonna see that this year? I mean, Kevin Herter was pretty damn consistent last year. Maybe Maryland's most consistent player. Uh he was really good on both ends. Uh obviously consistency is going to be huge for him. And if he can step up and be maybe Maryland's number one scorer this year, that that seems to be a giant question mark as to who's going to get the ball in, in crunch time. And maybe Kevin Herter will be putting up these 15 plus points per game numbers. Um, but for him, as long as he can maintain some sort of consistency, consistency on that end and be able to defend twos and threes like he did last year. I mean, Kevin Herter was pretty freaking good for a freshman that we didn't really expect that much from last year. Remember that crazy Georgetown play where he blocked yeah, the shot yeah, at the end? He had, I a, mean, he had a few of those in that game too. That, I mean, that game was insane, but he, he did have so many of those great defensive moments, and you know how much Mark Turgeon loves guys who can play defense like that, so he's going to be very critical against some, you know, some really good scores that they're going to be playing on their schedule this year, and Lamar, Matt says it could be the year of Justin Jackson. He's clearly the most pro-ready out of all of the players on Maryland's team and has the biggest possibility of jumping to the NBA next year. He entered the lottery this year came back, it was pretty clear he wasn't quite ready for it. But in terms of his improvement and his ability to just start to take over and make this his team in air quotes, although it, we figure it might be a more equal load this year, in terms of Justin Jackson, what do you want to see from him? What do you want to see him improve on? And what is his ceiling? Is his ceiling really a top 20, potentially lottery pick in next year's draft? Um, so the first thing he has to improve on is he's just got to be more aggressive. Uh, there were many times in the scrimmage the other day where he just, he's a very selfless player. And because of that, like he, if he's going to take control of the team and like really start to reach that ceiling, he's going to have to become more aggressive on uh, both ends. Uh, he is looking, I don't know what his ceiling is, but he is looking like one of those players in the like he has an NBA ready body six seven seven three wingspan that could guard and defend multiple positions um and it's going to be key for him this year to just show off how versatile he really is um yeah that's definitely I can see him going high if he if he if he's able to really showcase all of his abilities yeah he's he's a top 20 pick easy like if you look at his physical skills, combine that with the ability to really stretch the floor and like make some plays, NBA teams love that. Uh, I can I can easily see him going top twenty, but you can also see him like falling out of the first round if he plays inconsistently and uh, doesn't really like show what he can do this year. NBA expert Matt Allen talk. I know that you would know a little bit more about this than certainly I would. But he seems like kind of the perfect player in the modern NBA where he doesn't really have a position but can play all of them. He's incredibly athletic, incredibly long. He can defend all of these positions, and he has the potential to score too. So what do you think we see from Justin Jackson? Because there seems to be a wide range of possibilities where he could be a little bit underwhelming and maybe comes back for his junior season, or he could light it up, be one of the best players in the Big Ten, and is a surefire lottery pick. So what do we see from Justin Jackson in terms of an NBA perspective, and what does that mean for Maryland this season? Yeah, I mean, I thought he was going to be gone after last season, honestly. Um, people, for some reason, didn't really pay too much attention to him until it started coming down to crunch time of whether guys were going to opt in or not for the uh, for the draft. But, yeah, I mean, Justin Jackson has all of the tangibles to be a really good NBA player. He's 
extremely long. He's a really good shooter already. He can defend pretty much every position. Uh, for Justin, it's going to be you know it's going to be a matter of if he can be that sort of playmaking three or four in the NBA like we see guys like LeBron and Kevin Durant are able to be able to post up down low, but also be able to run out and transition. So it's a matter of of if Mark Turgeon will let Justin Jackson be that type of player, and if he'll able to, if he's able to show off those those types of things to NBA scouts. Uh, it's a lot more about moments than, you know, rather than his actual statistics by the end of the season. And if he can show moments where he's able to grab boards and run out and transition and kick out to the corners or penetrate and be able to find guys inside, you know, that's that's what's going to separate Justin Jackson from the rest. And I think that's what he's capable of doing if Mark Turgeon gives gives him the opportunities. Do you think Mark Turgeon will let him get the keys to that car? Because we've yeah, we'll, seen in we'll times see. before he's... that we have issues with that. We'll see. Turgeon is a very uh, – he has an old-fashioned coach's head where he likes to play, you know, two traditional bigs down low. And obviously I've been a guy who's been advocating for Justin Jackson to play the five for a long time. Cause I, I remember think that last year. How often think, did you say death lineup all over the Warriors? A lot, a lot. And I still think that, you know, he deserves, you know, a try at that when Cech goes off the court. Um, but we'll see. I, I think it's going to be one of those where – Based on his NBA fit, I'm not sure if he's going to get the opportunities he needs to to show that he's a lottery pick. But, you know, maybe if he's lucky enough, teams will find out uh, in tryouts by the end of the season. But I do think that Justin Jackson's gone after this year. Well, maybe that uh, performance better for Maryland. On the lineup hey. thing, I do want to interject. Uh, I do think we are going to see some wonky lineups from Mark Turgeon this year. I'm really excited. Uh, oh, he's going to not be an ideologue. That will make very many people excited. Yeah, there's yeah a- I would love that. There's a dearth of players between like six four and six nine on this team that can play like multiple positions. We're gonna see Tim Mayek and hopefully a little bit of Justin Jackson at center. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, I would you're love making to see me Tamayek excited too. Oh, we'll talk, we'll talk about him in a, we'll talk about him in a second because he is the perfect Turgeon <laughs> player. But Thomas, on the point of the freshmen, because we gotta talk about them. It's a small freshman class this year. I mean Tamayek is a redshirt freshman, but in terms of the recruiting class this year. You have Daryl Morcel, who we'll get to in a second, but the player I think a lot of us are most interested in is Bruno Fernando because last year Maryland just didn't really have much offense in the post. They had DeMonte Dodd, they had Michael Tchaikovsky, but they didn't have a lot of consistency on an offensive uh, position there because they just haven't had that offensive presence inside since Diamond Stone left, and even before that, they didn't have a ton of that. But Fernando projects potentially to have some of that. He's a big guy, he's got a big body, and I can tell... From a lot of the Maryland fans and a lot of the write-ups you see of this season, a lot of people are excited about Bruno Fernando. So, freshman big men, they're wild cards. Some of them could be great. Others of them, not so much. It takes longer for them to develop. And we know Mark Turgeon loves his big men. So, what are we thinking about Bruno Fernando this year? And can he back up a lot of the excitement so many people think he can match? Um, His his upside is, is, is a lot. I mean, he's a... I think Turgeon kind of hit it on the head. He's a six ten Des Wells, which would be that sounds amazing. You know, really a hell of a thing. That sounds fun, and yeah, I mean that would be if the, if that's the kind of player you're actually getting. I mean, because he's got he's got a jump shot, he's got an inside game, he's he's just a more physical player. Um, obviously, I didn't you know we didn't get to see him in the scrimmage, and he wasn't at. Uh, he didn't play in the secret scrimmage. He didn't play in the Capitol Classic in the spring, but he'll be back and he'll be. We'll get our first glimpse of him Friday. Uh, if he's healthy, then 
you know, then he's off off and running. And I think um, I have no reason to think that he's not healthy right now. So, um, yeah, I don't think it'll be too long of a development process. It'll be interesting to see just how much of a factor he becomes right away. Because I think the talent is all there for him to be one of Maryland's best players uh, by the end of 2017, like before the calendar flips. So that's good because we haven't been excited about a forward in like a while. <laughs> I was so. about to ask, like, well, <laughs> since, since since Diamond. Yeah, that was a big problem last year. It was all of two years ago. So, but it, I mean, it feels like an eternity ago because he was here for one season and he left. And then oh, last year, Maryland had no offense inside and not a ton of offense from the forward positions. It was such a guard-heavy offense last year. And, and Matt, I want to get your your thoughts on Bruno Fernando because when you think about the season, yes, the three sophomores kind of jump out, and Justin Jackson is this great pro-ready potential prospect. But Bruno Fernando has everybody looking their chops because you don't get potential like that very often. And he was a pretty highly rated recruit, but he's sort of unheralded when you look at some of the great freshmen that are going to be in college basketball this year. He has the potential to do things for this Maryland offense that we saw with Diamond Stone, but we haven't seen a ton with Mark Turgeon. And that adds another dimension to an offense that was kind of one-dimensional last year. Yeah, I mean, I haven't gotten to see Fernando play either, but, I mean, from what I've read, there's enough to be excited about. I mean, last year was... A, a disaster as far as big men went once Checo went down. I mean, Checo was great until we found out that there's no one to back him up. So, yeah, I mean, if Fernando's able to, to play big, that's great. If he's able to shoot, that's that's an added bonus because it's been two straight disappointing seasons, you know, as far as big men go uh, with Checo getting hurt and Diamond just never really being that great five-star recruit we hope for. So uh, I'm pretty excited about Fernando. He has the potential to really do some great things, and I really want to see it early on. I mean, maybe it's fool's gold because you're playing against out-of-conference teams and you're playing against Stony Brooks and Bucknells and teams like that. But if you can get the potential going early, it adds a dimension to this Maryland offense that is probably necessary for it to succeed. And Lamar, we shouldn't forget Daryl Morsell, another great uh, guard to add into the backcourt. What's his... Like, what is he going to be positionally? Where does he fit in with the guards? It is still a fairly crowded Maryland backcourt. And where does he project to be towards the end of the season? Um, so he's already looking like uh, like a college-ready guard. Uh, he busted out the 360 near the end of the first half, and that was only one of the most uh, more impressive plays he did. I saw him at the Capitol Classic this spring. He's going to be a true combo guard. He's looking like he's he's... It's going to take a little bit to develop uh, all of his playmaking skills, but he does have uh, the ability to run the offense. Uh, I, it's not unreasonable to see that, uh, to think that we'll see some uh, lineups with him and Cowan in the backcourt a lot this season. Um, yeah, he allowed, he's going to allow Maryland to really go big or go small because the, uh, there were times in the scrimmage where he was the smallest person on the court and he's Six four six five. So uh, he really gives Maryland that added dimension, and I six, he's going to be a crucial six man. I want to see him come off the bench because he just adds that he has a, a level of offense that the second unit hasn't had. Lamar does. Lamar seems to be a guy who can play when Cowan isn't on the court, or is he more of a supplement to Cowan? I haven't gotten to see him play either. Uh, can he play two point guard? 
Uh, he had he's done it at times. Uh, he played uh, point guard in AAU, but he didn't play it in high school, so he still learned the position. Um, but he does have he's more of a like driving K point guard, so it, that it's going to be interesting how to see how that affects the offense when he's uh, running the one. But he played point guard for a while in the scrimmage. The offense did fine, but again, that was against a D three team, so you never know. Uh, yeah. The, competition and then he did look uh he played well with count on the floor as well it seems like there's an options for this maryland offense because in the past they played basically one way because they either had no front court depth or no guard depth whether it was in 2015-16 they had no guard depth and last year they had no front court depth and in talking about the depth thomas we have the Mark Turgeon wild card of all wild cards and Joshua Tamayich, who redshirted last year and has the potential to play a pretty decent role this year. Deion Wiley is still around. He could potentially play a role. He's a redshirt junior. feels like he's been around forever. Michael Tchaikovsky and Avon Bender are still here, too, and they have added a little bit. Bender got a lot better last year, and Tchaikovsky, the injury kind of derailed what could have been a really promising season for him. So what about this depth? Does Maryland have enough of it to be competitive this year? And in some of these players, is Maryland going to see improvements? Like, what about the wild cards in some of these guys? Are they going to have the depth to do a lot of the things that Mark Turgeon wants to do this year? I would think so. Uh, I mean, they've got 11 players uh, on scholarship, and I think... You know, if if Tamayich is as promising as he looked in the scrimmage, then we'll get all 11 guys that could be in an extended rotation, um, which is just exactly what you need. Um, there's, as you said, if there's if healthy, uh, there's Deion Wiley, Michael Tchaikovsky, um, Jerry Nickens is you know sort of an enigma out there at times, but you know when he's when he's on, he's a weapon. Um, and then uh, Sean Obi is an extra one who he actually looked really impressive, um, especially on defense. He, I think he finished with eight rebounds, and it felt like he could have had like 25. Um, he's just, you can tell when he's out there. He's the loudest, like, most vocal defender I've seen. <laughs> like, we're on, we're on press row, which is a while from the court, and there's a lot of you know, sound waves going on in between. And you can just hear Sean Obi just yelling stuff on defense. We're too far away to hear what he's yelling, but we know it's him. And he's it's probably constructive, right? Uh, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> and, but but he's, he is fun. And um, he is, I think, at, like last year's team needed exactly what he brings, which is just the blue collar, just get every rebound you can get sort of a thing. Um, One sounds like something Maryland could have used for years. Yes, oh, yeah. yes. Every Maryland team since 1948 uh, could use a guy like this. <laughs> so, I mean, that's the thing, Matt, with this depth, is it's all a lot of wild cards. There are players that could be really good or not do much. We saw that a little bit last year. Some of the wild cards and the transfers and the depth options were hit and miss. They did some things right and some things eh. But Sean Obi, you know, he has that pedigree. <laughs> He was a really highly rated recruit. Now, even though Maryland's getting him for one year, Mark Turgeon's made great use of the transfer market to kind of supplement his team in positions where he feels that he needs something right away. So I think we haven't talked a ton about Sean Obi on this show, but I have a feeling we're going to be talking about him a lot this year on multiple occasions. 
Yeah, I mean, I, listen, I hope it pans out. And yeah, I mean, Turgeon has been able to, pu- to pull out big names from the transfer market. Um, but I mean, especially for this year, I'm just so much more excited to see the young guys actually get some run, especially in a year that like, there really aren't crazy expectations. I mean, this should be a tournament team, but there's nothing you know expected beyond that. I think Turgeon has a tendency to run with his older guys, and that's probably why we saw too much of Jared Nickens last year. Um, but I, I hope that Turgeon actually opts to play younger when the old guys aren't really working and actually, you know, make sure to go game by game and doesn't force minutes to guys who just haven't really, you know, succeeded. Hopefully Obi works out and he doesn't have the same problems, but that's a fear I have going into the season, especially with Nickens and Wiley, who just have been you know, miserably inconsistent for however long they've been here. I feel like I've been here forever, but that sounds like a thing that I've said about coaches with every team that I have ever rooted for since the start of time. (laughs) I think it's the complaint that every team has with all fans have with every single team, with every single coach. Yeah, fair enough. You you rely on your veterans. That happens a lot. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if Mark Turgeon does it, but I guess, Lamar, you're talking about earlier how many lineups that Maryland could throw out and that you might think Mark Turgeon might break from his set ways, which is good because that's what we complained about a lot in the past couple of years. If you go back to some of our old podcasts, I'm pretty sure you could have a drinking game based on the times we complained about Mark Turgeon's lineups. But it seems like with the kind of players that he has now, he has the ability to be more flexible. And in, in many ways, is that kind of the mystery that could unlock this team's potential? Uh, yeah, the the way he decides to deploy these players is going to be crucial. He because he has he has a lot of players that can play multiple positions. Uh, so Morcel can play both guard positions. Kevin Herter could move, can play the three, can play the two. Just uh, not unreasonable to think he'll play like a little bit of point guard. So you have a six seven point guard running things. So it's all going to be is depending on how. Mark Turgeon decides to use these players and use the versatility that he has. He has a lot of weapons on this team that, like, if he uses them wisely, they're going to shock a lot of teams. I think that this is an interesting team, Thomas, because when you read the preseason predictions that from all of the publications, and even when I was looking at it too, you get the sense that this team is upper half of the Big Ten. They're not Michigan State, Purdue good, or even Minnesota Northwestern good, but they're still pretty good in the tournament team, which for a team that lost its best player and its most defining players of the last three seasons, that's certainly not bad. And this is still a transition year with a ton of freshmen that are coming in next year, which we will talk about in just a few minutes. But in terms of expectations, like for the first time in a while, it doesn't feel like this team has overbearing expectations on their shoulders which they kind of cracked a little under. Certainly in 2015-16 they did. And last year after the record-setting start, they kind of fell back a bit to earth. Advanced stats would have told you that it was probably likely, but, you know, we'll get to that later. So really, is this team expected to do a whole lot beyond be a 6-7 seed in the tournament and everybody will be happy if they are? Um, I think it's one of those where people don't really know what to expect. They didn't lose a ton technically, you know, as as much as as good as Melo was and as meaningful as he was. You know, I, I think they return proportionally a lot, um, and so I think the general default expectation is just kind of 
the same bar that was set last year. Um, I don't think the expectations are overbearing. Um, they weren't really overbearing last year until they started 20-2, and two and everyone was like, oh, maybe they're actually great. They weren't. Um, it was – so I don't know. I don't know how this, how this one will do. Um, I think the Big Ten uh, – I've said this. I don't know if it was on this podcast or another place, but it was – the Big Ten has Michigan State and then this large clump of teams that are – you know, good, not great, um, and they can, you know, the order of finish can go a lot of different ways. Maryland's in that clump, um, and it'll be interesting just to see how they match up with other teams, um, and, and it's it's tough to answer that right now. Matt, for you, you've been following Maryland basketball for a while, in terms of where this team might fall in terms of recent teams, not just in terms of expectations, but in performance, this program's established consistency now. It's made the tournament three straight years. Four straight years basically means you're pretty much a tournament team every year. And after four years in the early part of this decade of not making it, that's all Maryland fans kind of wanted to see. We know the team with all the preseason hype a couple years ago didn't quite live up to expectations. And then last year's team started unnaturally hot and then cooled off. But this team kind of seems to be more of a, I wouldn't say a normal Maryland team, but a kind of a Turgeon team that we can say, all right, we feel pretty confident in saying they're going to make the tournament. Maybe they win a game. Lucky they're two, but they're not quite the class of the Big Ten. It's still in that transition period, as we mentioned before. So just where is this team in the general scope of not just the Big Ten, but in college basketball at large? Yeah, I mean, they're going to be a kind of forgotten team until they pull off some sort of win. They don't have any identity. Mellow Trimble was the big name who isn't there anymore that's going to be you know a mix of whether justin jackson becomes enough of a player that people talk about him in a national scale but i mean they're going to be one of those teams that probably people are going to look down the schedule and be like wow how are they ranked number 23 overall and then depending on if the young guys are hot or not are going to be like oh they deserve that ranking or maryland's trash they only got their ranking because they're maryland i mean they're going to have a back and forth year where um, I'm sure they're going to be underappreciated and we're going to overhype them when something great happens and, you know, clobber them when something bad happens. It's going to be same old Maryland. I love it. Nothing's going to change here. But I think in terms of just the teams that they play last year, a lot of why they started 20 and two, their schedule was amazingly easy. They played no one at a conference and that kind of built the hype train to an unnatural level. This year, trash again. <laughs> it's it's not great, but I would say that there are at least a couple of teams that they are playing that aren't totally trash. You know, I want I want to get to that Matt in just a second, but for Lamar, you know, in terms of where you expect this team to be, and where I think the general average Maryland fan expects this team to be, are those expectations right? Are they being undersold a little bit? Are they being oversold a little bit because of the uncertainty? Uh, where do you think they fall in that range? Uh, yeah, the expectations are just, like, for an average team because, yeah, no one knows what to expect from uh, them without Melo Tremble. Melo Tremble gave the team an identity and, like, a consistency that you can kind of just say, oh, this is actually going to happen because Melo Tremble is there, whatever. Uh, the schedule is also easy this year. Uh, I'm looking at it now, and... There's their only potential matchup with someone 
uh, ranked higher than them in the preseason Ken Palm is a potential matchup with TCU in that uh, preseason tournament. Everyone else is beneath them. Butler's 42, and outside of that, no one's really close. So they won't test themselves that much this pre uh, in the non-conference schedule. Um, so it's crucial that they get all the wins that they can um, because the Big Ten is going to be rough this year. Uh, it's not a lot of teams that are that much better than them, but there's a lot of teams that are right around their area, yeah, like Thomas said. Um, so it's, yeah, the expectations are just like no one really, it's just average. No one, I don't know if anyone's going to be really surprised if they outdo what they were expected to because they know that they had those three freshmen that and like hypothetically are like going to take the next step um but yeah I, I could see that and I could but I could also see in many ways Thomas where the schedule some people would say is better because I mean last year they played legitimately no one I can only remember that they played Pitt basically that that was it but now, I mean, that you get Butler, who is still Butler. That's a program of pedigree. You're playing Syracuse on the road. TCU in that Niceville, Florida turn. I can't believe there's a town named Niceville. It should be called 69-Bell. Anyway, that's going to be a good game. And then because of Jim Delaney's delusions of playing the Big Ten tournament in Madison Square Garden, you get two conference games in early December, which breaks up the monotony of out of conference schedule but gives Maryland an idea of kind of where they are. And one of those games is Purdue – against a team that some would say is slightly better than they are, but is in the same ballpark. So I think we're going to get a much better idea of how good this Maryland team is by the time we get to when finals are, as opposed to last year where we didn't really know how good this team was until middle of January at the very earliest. Oh, agreed. Um, yeah, and a lot of the non-conference teams on the schedule are teams like, you know, Bucknell, you know, who's – pretty good quietly but like a team Maryland should beat and there's just a lot of those um and then yeah it's always tough to win at Syracuse um and Butler is always going to play tough even with a new coach after losing some guys um and then yeah throwing in the I'm, I'm interested to see how that kind of fits in atmosphere wise um a big 10 home game against someone like Purdue because, I mean, it was a big deal when Maryland played Purdue last year. Um, and but, but it being in December is going to make it really weird. It'll be weird. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm just curious if if fans kind of treat it differently. Because, yeah, um, last year, like, that was the biggest home game of the year again, was against Purdue. And, you know, Maryland fans show up for the big games. But because this is December, I, I don't remember what day is December the 1st. Like like a Friday, I think. It's, it's, it's a weird time to play your conference games. Thanks, Jim Delaney, for that one. And it just, it, it is an odd time to play them. But, Matt, Maryland, you could argue they play maybe the three best teams in the Big Ten twice. They play Michigan State twice. They play Purdue twice. I believe they play Northwestern twice. I think they get Minnesota at home. They're going to play a lot of good teams at Xfinity Center and... Whatever you want to say about Maryland teams, they always play really well at home, much better than they've ever played on the road, and that's a great equalizer. And I'm really interested to see how Maryland matches up against Purdue, which is still very much Purdue, and Michigan State, who's number two in the country in the preseason polls. You know, that kind of makes this team 
kind of interesting wild card because you could easily see them when Michigan State comes to Xfinity Center, Maryland beating them because they've done that before, and Maryland has beaten very good teams with less than stellar groups themselves at home plenty of times under Mark Turgeon. For sure. Selfishly, I think I still wish that Maryland played a notable non-conference team in November. I think that's something that we've kind of talked about for a couple of years, and I don't really get why Maryland wouldn't want to schedule a game against a top 15 caliber opponent. Um, Nobody wants to go to College Park, though. That's the problem. I mean, you have to play them neutral. Travel somewhere else. I mean, at this point, I don't know exactly the specifics of how things are worked out or how that goes on, but it's been pretty disappointing to see Maryland not match up to a great opponent early on just for the hell of it, just to see what's going on with the team um, from the early going when those teams aren't great anyway. I mean, we saw that kind of hurt them at times because the Big Ten was pretty trash last year, so even their big wins in conference didn't matter as much. Um so yeah, I mean they'll fight through November. They definitely have a chance to be to go on one of those crazy types of runs that we saw last year. Maybe not twenty and two, but I'm sure their record will look great. You know, heading into middle of December. But uh, I wish they matched up to better opponents earlier on. Well, I don't think they have much to like because we know Maryland can't play Duke anymore because somebody's ego got hurt when they left the ACC. So that's not going to happen. And I don't think Maryland picks who they're playing in the ACC Big Ten Challenge which means that they're obviously not going to get anybody good. And the Gavit games are weird. I they yeah, exist. Maryland's played in a couple of those just meaningless tournaments. Like, they're going to play in, what, this Emerald Coast Classic? Who cares? Yeah, I mean, uh, St. Bonaventure's not terrible. And TCU, sure. I think, will be fun to see them play because that's a good team. That's a team that could have made the tournament last year and probably will this year. So sure. I think Scheduling's that, always been conservative, though. I mean, historically... Well, yeah, but as I, as, I, as I said, Maryland's not, in many ways, I, I guess we should go into this a tiny bit, Maryland's not a brand, they are to us, but they're not quite, you know, a brand where they're going to get asked to play in some of these big tournaments, you know, and that's the issue, and a lot of teams, they don't want to come to College Park because they feel that they're probably going to lose, and these tournament fields, like Maui and this, the Nike tournament, which obviously Maryland can't play in, but all these other preseason tournaments, they're set long in advance, and Maryland can only do so much to schedule, and I wish they could get better teams. But this is about what it is for most teams, isn't it? I mean, Thomas, also because of the way the Big Ten schedule is this year, that probably put a wrench into it. But, I mean, I, I don't know about the scheduling things being as much of an issue, because I think their out-of-conference schedule this year is certainly better than it was last year, which is the worst we've ever seen it. And I guess it'll get better as the program's pedigree gets higher, but... I've never really held too much of the scheduling thing all that much. And I guess we talked about it a couple weeks ago when they add two more conference games, it's going to make it a tiny bit harder to get the biggest and best games out of conference, you know, for this team to play, especially because no one wants to go to Xfinity center because they'll feel they'll probably lose. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the schedule at the start of the year is, it kind of ramps up a little bit, you know, Butler's a good team in the second game, and then you get good teams a couple games later, and then suddenly you get conference opponent on December 1st. Um, and then you kind of go back down, and then it's conference play. Um, I don't know. I think it works out. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm interested to see how the season sort of flows that way. Um, I don't know if it's going to be – I don't know that they will go on an extended streak – the way they did, good or bad, last year. 
Um, I just don't know if this is that kind of team. But, yeah, it'll be interesting. So let's now go quickly, Matt, to the Big Ten itself. And Michigan State, I, I wrote it in a preview I did for another website. This could actually be the team that ends the Big Ten's title drought. And Michigan State had the last one in 2000, and the conference has gotten close sometimes, but has never broken through. This could be that team. And then, as Thomas said, the rest of the two through like eight or nine in the Big Ten is an amorphous blob of teams that are good, not great, could beat anybody on their night, but probably aren't consistent enough to challenge Michigan State in the end. And Maryland Falls, I say in the middle of that, I've seen them at five and six and seven, and all of them pretty much fit. So, in your mind, where does Maryland fit in a Big Ten that certainly is better than it was last year? It's kind of hard for it to be worse. But where do they fit in this conference that has one dominant team, potentially, and then a bunch of good, not great teams? Yeah, Miles Bridges is going to eat people this year. I mean, he, that, he just brings Two times against state. Maryland, everybody. Two times. Yeah, I mean, I can't... Can you believe I can't, that he came back? I No, I have no idea why he came back, but he's going to be unbelievably good this year. Uh, and obviously, he pushes Michigan State to a whole other level. But yeah, you're right. I mean, the rest of the teams are about you know, some some mosh between that like two and seven range. And Maryland probably fits somewhere in the middle. Uh, I'm sure it's it's the same with a bunch of teams banking on freshmen to make some sort of sophomore leap. Um, that we're hoping for also in Maryland. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, it's hard to predict right now where Maryland's going to be, but it's definitely not going to be ahead of Michigan State. I don't think a lot of teams are going to be ahead of Michigan State, which, no. well, again, you get to play them twice and once at home. So there's your resume-building win opportunity. I don't remember when that game is, but it's on a Sunday afternoon on CBS, so people will watch it. Uh, Thomas, let's go quickly into our predictions, where you think this team is going to be where it might fall in the NCAA tournament, where it's going to fall in the Big Ten. And saying all that we have said, there's a lot of uncertainty, but it's a lot of positive uncertainty with this team, which was the same last year. They ended up finishing third in the conference and as a sixth seed in the NCAA tournament. Probably not going to finish third again in the Big Ten this year, if I had to guess, but a six-seven seed in the NCAA tournament sounds about right for them. I think third is still reasonable, and I think... Anything as high as maybe a five would be reason would be like within reason. Um, obviously, the ceiling is probably higher, like the absolute ceiling, which is also the roof according to Michael Jordan. But uh, yeah, I think <laughs> very glad you brought that up. I think um, you know, as we were saying, I mean, just kind of the baseline expectation is around what last year was, which was you know, toward the top, not at the top of the Big Ten. Um, and, you know, get to the NCAA. Yeah, get there. Um, give yourself a chance, um, which, you know, it, it's one of those tricky things because you lose to an 11 seed and then that 11 seed makes the Elite Eight and you don't really know how to feel about it. Um, Didn't make me feel yeah. any better. I don't know. It, it, it can, you can look at that two ways. Like, you know, maybe they were actually good or that could have been us. Because Maryland was in that game for a very long time, um, but I mean, uh, but that's the kind of you know thing that the season will probably end up coming down to something like that. And I think if it does, then we have to we we can't call it a failure if the season unfolds pretty much the same way. I don't think anybody called last year a failure. Maybe they said you know wish they could have done better, but I didn't think any season 
in the last three for the Terps when they made the tournament was a failure. Some they could have done better and didn't. I, I, I know, Thomas, but I, I remember we tell you not to read the comments. It's a long-held tradition on the internet. Don't do that. Matt, where do you think this team falls in this season? I think it's probably pretty similar to last year, and I don't think many Maryland fans are going to complain all that much because, as we said, it's a team that is still largely in transition. Yeah, I agree. Somewhere in the same realm of last year, just maybe more balance where they don't win all of the games and then lose all the games like that. Or um, win the fluky games like they did because of free throw shooting and Mellow Trimble basically being Jesus when there's less than 10 seconds on the clock. Yeah, they don't have that lifeline anymore. But yeah, I think it's going to be something similar to last season. And, you know, maybe maybe they can, can squeak out one tournament game. That'd be nice. Yeah, I, I, you know, I would like there was a four seed in 2015, a five seed in 2016, a six seed last year. So I'm going to go with seven this year because, you know, sliding scale. Lamar, where do you think this team falls in at the end of the year? Yeah, I still think this is, uh, they're running for another top four finish in the Big Ten. I'd be surprised if they finish too far lower than that. Um, still, wanted, but, uh, yeah, still towards the top half of the conference. In terms of tournament, yeah, anywhere between that five and the seven seed. Uh, they're going to need, uh, like, defining when maybe got to pick up one over Michigan State or one over Northwestern, but they're going to need one of those to get, like, respect at the end of the year because as, as you've seen a couple in the last couple of years, like the, what was it, the 2015-16 year where they had a great year and ended up as, like, a four seed or something. Five seed. Yeah, that was ridiculous. Um, Georgetown was ranked ahead of Maryland that year. It made no yeah, sense. That was, yeah, that was insane. But, yeah, a five seed would be, a great into this year like a solid into this year i could totally see that being the case and no doubt there will be expectations that go up and down like a yo-yo because this is maryland basketball and we are prone to violent mood swings when we talk about maryland basketball but i think the expectations are pretty similar thomas we should get to some of the recruiting news as we are recording this aaron wiggins has officially signed with maryland he was a commit for a while now to starting to take the shape of this very important 2018 class and there's a lot of news on that that I think we should get to, as we said, this 2017-18 team has a lot of promise, but future teams could be even more promising, and this is the start of that. Uh, yeah, I will also add that while we were recording this, Jalen Smith signed. He I is... told you this was going to happen before the show. I told you it was yeah. going to. Yeah, uh, so Jalen Smith is now um, – the best in-state prospect Maryland's gotten since recruiting rankings were a thing. Um, so that, that seems important. It seems very good. Um, DMV to UMD. Yes. He, uh, yeah, so Wiggins, Smith, and Eric Ayala are all expected to, um, well, two of them have. Ayala is expected to sign, uh, if he hasn't already done it, um, you know, within the next day or two. Um, the early signing period runs until next Wednesday. Uh, the 15th. November 15th, yes. And um, between now and then, we will get um, an announcement and a signing on Kelvin Johnson. Um, Maryland is probably trailing Kentucky in that right now uh, with Texas and NC State kind of sort of in it, but it's really just Kentucky versus Maryland is the apparent not Kentucky option there. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens. Either... 
either Maryland lands and signs, uh, you know, a, you know, the 14th best player in the country, number two shooting guard, a guy who's going to be probably a one and done, but also, you know, he's a stud. And the, either they're going to get that or they're going to know that they're out of that and they're going to have plenty of time to work on, you know, what's next because the next signing period window is doesn't start until mid-April. Yeah, the the new signing period changes up how the recruiting works, but uh, the Mark Turgeon, Matt, always recruits well. That's never been a problem for him. And this, I think, another thing that you would have heard if we go back and listen to those old podcasts is the 2018 recruiting class is the most important Mark Turgeon's time at Maryland, and he's done a really good job with that, and he has the potential to do even more. And that makes this season, while maybe not the best that we can see from this Maryland team, it makes future seasons even more exciting. Yeah, again, this is it's it's the Justin Jackson year. I mean, Mark Turgeon's still yet to produce a real NBA talent, and I think that's something that's probably holding him out from getting consistent top-notch recruits. Um, that's obviously something kids are looking for, just living proof that player can go through university and become a great NBA player. So, yeah, I mean shipping off Justin Jackson as a first round pick this year would be, you know, a huge stepping stone. Obviously the diamond stone experiment was bad. Melo Trimble obviously was another poorly handled NBA situation. So, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be huge to see what Justin Jackson is going to mean to this program immediately and also after, but yeah, even besides that, somehow Turgeon has found a way to bring in huge names, like even Jalen Smith for next year. Um, so we'll wait and see. Wait, don't doesn't Alex Len count in the uh, good NBA prospect? He was a top five pick. That didn't mean he was a good NBA player. Oh, uh, come on. It still counts. Teams make stupid mistakes in the draft all the time. Have you seen the Phoenix Suns lately? Yeah, I mean, for sure. But still, I mean, Diamond Stone dropping to the second round was, you know, a bad look for Maryland's program. Uh, and Mello Trimble not even getting drafted was, you know, another example. So they're looking for something to bounce back. Okay, I, I get to see that perspective. It's a perspective that I haven't been thinking of because I don't really think of the NBA in that way. But, hey, you know what? With one and dones, how the heck can you even bother with that? And there's still the whole FBI thing that's going on, which could throw monkey wrenches into everything by this time next week or by this time in April. Who the heck knows? Thomas, because this is a basketball show, we should quickly talk about the women's team. And maybe we record something before they play South Carolina at home. Maybe we don't. But uh, this women's team, I know you've talked about it quite a bit last year. They were in the Sweet 16, probably should have beaten Oregon and didn't play very well and lost to Oregon in the Sweet 16. Kind of threw away a great chance with a lot of WNBA players that just couldn't quite get it together the last couple of years when it mattered the most. And this team is in a transition year too. Uh, what about them? Because we should all be watching them way more than we have been, at least in my case. Yeah, I mean, it is, I think transition year is a good word um, because most of the players that are on this team and are going to play big roles on this team are going to be around next year. Um, the current senior class is kind of small at this point, um, and it, it's a small roster right now. I think it's at nine players right now with Jeez. a 10th. Uh, in Eliana Kristinaki becoming eligible halfway through the season. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, but I mean, but all of those players do have upside, and a bunch of them were all Americans. Um, I mean, there's there's still. It's been interesting to see how they've done in rankings. Uh, they're 13th in the coaches' poll, a 15th AP, um, which I think is around a fair sort of medium. I mean, they can go up or down from that either. You know, either way. I'm very curious to see how they play against the defending champs because um, there a lot of pretty much every player on the team is going to be asked to do stuff that uh, they haven't done before. Um, that's that's what that's what it's going to take to keep this team where it has been and keep moving it forward for uh, a potential run in the future as well. Well, they also had a big recruiting class too. Again, Brenda Freeze is really good at that. And a lot of them signed as we're recording this podcast. Another, another fun way of doing business. Oh, they all signed in the morning. That's, oh, they all signed in the morning. Nice okay. And nice and considerate, including uh, the number three player in the entire country. That is the best uh, recruit Brenda Fries has ever landed. Um, a 6'5 power forward who can shoot and can do basically everything. Sounds like um, a great addition. Austin, it seems like someone you would rather add than not add. I would say so, yes. So, yes, that is very exciting, and she's going to be uh, phenomenal for a long time. Um, but she's not on this year's team, which only has 10 players, has a lot of unproven pieces, but could also be good. Well, that's what Maryland women's basketball is and has been for a very long time, and you should watch it. I believe the game next Monday's on ESPN2. I think it is. I don't remember what day is the game against South Carolina. I think it's either next Monday or Tuesday. I think it's Monday. It could be yeah. it could be one of those, but you should still watch it anyway. It's not the same day as a Maryland as a men's game. That I can tell you for sure. So because of that, you should definitely watch it. And hopefully the atmosphere is somewhat close to what it was like last year against UConn, which was insane. They're bringing the whiteout back, so I think they're they're gonna drum up enough to maybe maybe get it there. I know, that was that atmosphere. I remember watching that UConn game, and I know you were at that game. That was insanity. Never seen an atmosphere like that for a women's game, and I can only remember it being topped by like one or two men's games that I've seen. So I hope that happens again, and that will be on television, so you should definitely watch it. And this was a good basketball show. It reminds us that there is hope with Maryland sports, especially since all those club teams are not very good if they actually have those club teams. Right, Thomas? We are still looking into that. No we're still looking news. into that. No, nothing, no nothing news on that up. front while we were recording. Nothing came up. Nothing came up, Lamar, during the podcast? Your sources weren't buzzing you on your phone? No, I didn't see anything pop up on that one. Mm, darn. Man, I thought we were going to get to the bottom. But stay tuned to Testudo Times because we're certainly going to try to get to the bottom of this. And, uh, and Matt, uh, th- this is your time, man. It's your time now to shine. The NBA season's been ongoing, and now it's Maryland basketball season. This is your time, man. My favorite time of the year. I know. Well, it's starting to become one of my favorite times of the year because uh, not a lot of my sports teams are very good at sports right now, so I need to have no uh, some hope after having no hope for too long, and uh, Maryland basketball always provides some hope. They always, do something cra- they always do something crazy fun, and then we get angry at them, but, you know, I, I always look forward to when these seasons have started. I Again, even if you don't know much about Maryland, you know that they're good at basketball and you know that they are a big basketball school, which means when Maryland basketball season starts, even when they're not expected to do a ton, it's very exciting. And we will be talking 
all about these games in the coming days and weeks throughout the season. And Matt Allen Tuck will be back a ton to talk about this team because he knows more about basketball than I do, which is why I always ask him to come back. So thank you all for listening. Enjoy the games, even though they're on BTN+. Plus. Sorry you have to pay money for that. But you can listen to the WMEC stream, which I would recommend doing, because our Alex Littlehales is doing some of those games, which is another reason why you should listen to those. And you can probably find a Johnny Holiday stream somewhere, too. This is why you should listen to those games if you can't find them on BTN+. Plus. But most of the games are going to be on television. Anyway, enjoy the season, and go Terps!